What's going on, everybody? It is Saturday night, January 13th. The Sixers, they are coming off of a, of a Joel Embiidless win over the Kings. Uh, there is a young buck on the Sixers beat who does a fantastic job, <laughs> notices all the X's and O's things that it blows my mind that this this young and seems to see all these things and i'm like where where are you pulling this from um so i wanted to get him on the recap that game dissect some 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 uh x's and o's stuff and sort of some skill stuff of some of the players on the on the team obviously dan olinger of the rights to ricky sanchez podcast dan welcome to the beat thanks for coming on tonight well thanks for having me on austin i thought you were gonna say the guy who is wearing a blazer too often at the at the games and press rows because i i like like i just like wearing it so but then i you you came up to me and hey why do you keep wearing that every game I, it was not meant to be like a you it, it wasn't meant to no be you're like good you're you good look good. it was meant to be like uh like you know you don't have to do that <laughs> yeah it was just it was more like i wanted to do it now i, yeah. I understood that that was not like required yeah. okay, well I, I respect it i respect the the, uh, the full suit and sneakers look it's a good look you you're 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 already halfway to ESPN. It's like it's a very classic ESPN <laughs> outfit is 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 the suit and the sneakers. But uh, you know, this morning my my dad calls me and he's like, you know, I think they really figured out Tobias Harris and they unlock something with them. And I think like he's the guy. He can be the guy. Like this is the, the he can be the 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 gut check guy down the stretch. And I was like. I was like, I have bad news for you. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think he's that guy. Um, the Sixers, of course, bludgeoned the Kings last night. Uh, Tobias comes out with basically with fire, and he is punishing him in the in the, the mid post, using leveraging his frame and his size, getting inside, gets six free throws in the first quarter, uh, in route to I think fourteen points, and he basically never lost rhythm the entire rest of the game. Um, and that was it was that was sort of all they needed. They needed someone to set the tone, and that was it was a blowout from there. Um, I, I I think this team largely is what it is without Joel, and that is they just don't they just they aren't going to be able to win enough games if without him if he's missing a, a, a large stretch of time. But what did you see specifically out of Tobias in that game that you thought was like different from? typical Tobias that we would say. Yeah. So I want to shout these guys out first because I think they were the first people I really heard it illustrate the point. Well, is it was the deuce and Mo podcast, which is a Sacramento Kings podcast where they were talking about how I think the Kings have lost to the Pelicans like three or four times this year. And they've been like bludgeoned in each of those games, like not close and just how much they have struggled as a team with physicality and like, like the Pelicans whole thing is they have all these big wings like Zion and Brandon Ingram, Jonas Alanchunas, just huge like Herb Jones, like all these tall guys just throwing in waves at you. And that really bothers the Kings. And it seems like the Sixers recognized pretty early that they did not have a forward strong enough for Tobias, who yeah. like say all you want about Tobias. I'll give to Tobias is strong. That is a strong yeah. dude. That's the reason they had him to guard Sabonis. We get into more later, but that's like one of Tobias's like if people are wondering why Tobias overpaid as he probably is, is still had a very good NBA career it's that it's hard to find dudes who at his height are still have that much mass and at least have he can shoot and dribble and like you can give him the ball and stuff like that just so Tobias just started backing down all their smaller guys in the post he felt super comfortable rising up for those shots and once you know these NBA players are 
they're the best basketball players in the world. Like again, Tobias probably one of the best 100 players in the world. If you let him get a few shots going, he's going to get rolling. And then suddenly the contested jumpers are falling and it all comes into place. And yeah, he just got in a really good rhythm. So you could tell he felt so comfortable against their lack of strength basically yeah. inside. So yeah, I, I, this is not like, uh, I, hate, I hate to break your dad's heart. It's probably not, Tobias is probably not the third star going on year six in Philadelphia. I, I don't think it's going to happen now. <laughs> it was a good, it was a good matchup from him. And like you said, what's important is just like, that's why at least if Tobias isn't going to be the third star, it's like at least if Tobias has a good matchup in a game, he's, if he is your third best player, you want him to take advantage of that good matchup, which he had last night. Yeah. So like, I think, that Tobias game specifically was a good example of a couple things. First, people, players will say often, like, I just had to get into a good rhythm. And, you know, and like, what, what does that really mean? Well, that means like you, you see a couple shots drop. It doesn't matter if it's a three or it's just a gut shot at the rim. You see the ball go in the hoop a couple times and you're just feeling good about yourself. And then suddenly, like, that un- mentally, that unlocks a lot of things for you. And, you know, he, he in the first quarter, he gets the, uh, the spin move and one in, out of the post, and then he blows off. He blows Chris Duarte off the dribble, and uh, th- and gets fat at the rim on a dunk. So that's six. This is six easy points, and he, that was like that was just him developing rhythm actively in the moment. And I think like what you said about the 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 size and the muscle mass is so true. As he's all, he has this combination of strength, but also like foot speed for a guy uh, for, out of out of a forward like that and it's weird that he has those two things and yet is not like this the best vertical athlete out there at the four spot which is why he his dunks don't always end end up going down they sometimes get blocked sometimes he gets met at the rim but it he, he does have this like unique combination of foot speed and mass that a team like Sacramento just doesn't have the bodies on the perimeter to sort of keep at bay. So I thought it was basically just, he caught a rhythm real quickly and that was just a, a bad matchup for Sacramento to have to deal with. And then he kind of just rode that wave from there. Um, I do think, you know, there are things that we can take from games like this, where he, where Joel's not available. They're trying to figure out how do we like, how do we manufacture offense? Right. Um, and, one of the things that they've done more in the last two games, coincidentally, with, with the shooting has gotten better. They've run the two-man game with Tobias and Tyrese. And Tobias spoke about it last night. He said it was just like, you know, it helps the spacing. I think it just makes things a little bit more confusing for a defense. Like, okay, what do we do if this guy catches it in a short roll? Who was who 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 is the first rotation over? And what does our secondary rotation do to, to help cover up for that guy who just rotated to Tobias? So I think when you have a guy who can make decisions like that, who can dribble, who can sort of uh, read the floor and move quickly, it just it just sort of puts a wrench in what you're trying to do defensively. And if if they're both feeling it on any given night, it makes the defense like have to make an active decision. Like, does two guys go to Tobias? Does two stay with Tyrese? Uh, you know, do we really have to communicate this through, or else we're going to have a blown coverage and someone's getting open. And so I think that those are actions that they weaponized a lot last night. They weaponized it a lot in Atlanta. Um, and I think beyond Tobias's scoring, like he actually made some really nice passes out of the short roll in open space, which is not something you can usually say for Tobias. He's not usually the best passer on, on the floor. But I mean, a lot of their offense was him just being connective tissue for the rest of his teammates. Yeah, I mean, 
it wasn't Tobias specific, but I do know Maxi had the answer in the press conference talking about how he was like trusting Paul and Mo to make those short roll passes. Paul had two really good ones to Batum just because it was very adam it was very clear from the start of the game the Kings decided we're doubling Maxi, we're blitzing Maxi on all of his ball screens, all of his triple handoffs, getting it out of his hands. And Maxi, like, you know, it can be hard for him because he I think he's probably seen over the years the few times he gets there, especially this year, like sometimes he throws in the short roll and doesn't really feel like anything happens, but he kind of trusted and they paid him off for it. So that helped a lot. And like you said, Tobias, uh, Tobias, you're right. It's not an amazing passer. I've always, Tobias does have some nice passes where he, um, especially in transition, he'll do the driving kicks. He understands like he can collapse the defense. Like you said, he, he's a big enough body. He draws a lot of people in the paint so he can hit kick out passes. Uh, not really much of, there's really no one on the Sixers who are great lay down or dump off passers except yeah. for Pat Beverly. Pat Bev is yeah. the one guy who's like really good at those little slip passes to, well, any other sixer gets like deep in the paint, you need to like dump it off to a guy in dunker spot, like really not happening. Just that's just not their strength. And that's fine. Like teams can have weaknesses. Just that one happens to be theirs generally. Pat Bev's really yeah. the only one who ever hits those feeds. But yeah, Tobias, again, it just, I don't think this game is like <laughs> what you should expect from like the right. way he started from three, some of the pull up jumpers he hit. Like, I don't think you're going to get that again. This team, this happened to be a good matchup for him where he, was crucial to their defensive game plan and how he matched it with Sabonis and was able to allow them to have a lot of versatility on that end. And then on offense, just they didn't have a good match for it. So again, I, I think it's pretty much as simple as just the Kings are a team that was tailor-made for Tobias to kind of take it to him. And he did exactly that. So credit where it's due. Um, it was a really good game for him. And yeah, I, I, obviously Maxie's been in those two main games all year. It's just him and Joel, him and Paul, if, if Embiid's on the bench. Now you see him with Toby. Um, they started in that jazz game a lot when they were in boxing one on him all the time, having Maxi as a screener, which is basically what you ever you want to do when you're getting face guarded. Cause that face guarding defender, then they're just in a weird position. Cause they're not supposed to react and move. You're kind of putting the, like the defense in a weird situation. Now the jazz handled it. Cause the Sixers didn't play well. And the jazz are an extremely well-coached team. They yeah. were completely ready for that adjustment. They had layers on their zone defenses. Like I could, I could go on for on on about how well Will Hardy coached in that game. Yeah, so awesome. not much, okay. not much to say about that. Like sometimes the other team has their night, but yeah, just letting Maxi as a screener. He's been used more of a screener off ball this year. It's he's been getting better at it. His shooting brings a ton of threat to it, and yeah, love seeing Maxi screen for Tobias. He screened for Joel earlier this year. I think it really does throw defenses into some chaos. So it's just a good thing again to have in there. It's not. I don't think I don't think Maxi screen so many ball screens last year, and it's a good thing I think it added to their offense. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. Like, I, I am not trying to say that Tobias has like suddenly found something new in game third, you know, four, 38 of his sixth season in Philly. I, obviously, he, he is what he is. I think like, he caught a night where I think Sacramento wasn't exactly the most engaged team on defense, and that was in addition to their the mismatch issues, and they're just not a very good defensive team in general. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned Paul. And that brings up another point that I thought has sort of become interesting in recent weeks is like Mo has had his warts for sure. But the last two games have been really, I wouldn't say inspiring, but it makes you see like, okay, this is how this guy could be a rotation player. And I mean, Nick, Nick was sort of complimentary of him, but not also not like it was not exactly gratuitous. He was kind of like, yeah, when he tries, he's really good. <laughs> it's basically what he said in the in the, in the post game show, uh, in the post game presser last night. Um, 
And I, you know, I, I think it was you know, he's, he's he last couple of games very good rotations from the weak side of the rim to block shots and sort of goad guys into getting into the paint and, and taking those shots and then just being the one to, to, to volleyball spike it. Obviously he's a, he's a stretch big. So if he's hitting from the out from the from perimeter, it's just a second level of, of offensive identity to your backup big spot. But I thought Paul was, was pretty phenomenal last night, just as a, a short roll guy. Uh, you know, he, he knew how to slowly sort of float into spaces and not too soon, not too late. So Tyrese could find him in uh, in stride. He didn't lose his mind once he had the ball. It was just sort of like, I'm going to find the next guy. And he was spraying the ball around the court all night long. I, this is not to say that Paul Reed is going to become this guy or is this guy. But I think the the, the thing that kind of separates him from being a, a legitimately good you know or playable two-way player is the ability to catch and then immediately identify where the next play is for him so like is that okay i'm going to square my hips and call this teammate up to come dho with me uh am i going to you know come back to the ball handler who just fed me and then rescreen for him uh you know how am i what is my next move here is it a pass is it, i'm just going to attack off the dribble those are all those are things that have made draymond great and again not saying that he is going to be that guy but just being a, but being able to see what is in front of him and assess what the next best option is at like a very quick speed would be it would make a world of difference for him because they tend to stop a little bit and sort of, sort of ball watch when he catches it in the short roll. And that becomes problematic because his instinct is to, I'm just going to go isolate. And that does not end well for anybody except the defense. Um, what, what, how would you compare and contrast, I guess, like what they're getting on both ends from uh, Mo versus Paul? Yeah. So you're mentioning Paul there and I get what you're saying with the, like the short roll passes were so nice last night, especially the lob to Batum, because that one like was not immediately open, but he saw it happening right away and threw it up. Like he kind of just read the play correctly. Like I think the one he had to the three for Batum, like Batum basically just like had a nice cut against Harrison Barnes, kind of got lost, so it was pretty open. But yeah, you can. The reason I think Paul goes that is he knows that they're trying to like double and take away Maxi. He knows that he's be- basically being the guy. Like, his man's still on him, but if he is, he's waiting for him at the rim. Like, I think he knows that he's the one kind of not being guarded in that situation who can slow down their offense when he's on the court instead of Embiid. So, I, your natural instinct as a basketball player is you want to make something happen. Like, I I don't think Paul's afraid. He he doesn't he does want – he wants to be guarded. He wants to command the defensive respect, which is why you see him with that yeah. decent-looking jump. I mean, not decent-looking, but, like, decently effective little mid-range jumper trying to – get it going, trying to force them to, hey, you have to come out and guard me. I'm going to do something. It, it didn't. His job was simpler last year when he had one of the smartest pick-and-roll passers of all time playing with him, and it's, hey, Paul, roll all the way to the rim, and James is going to find you probably. So, or And if he doesn't find you, it's because the defense collapsed and he found a three-point shooter. Like It made his job very simple. And Tyrese, even though the, – the, now Tyrese being a good enough scorer that he gets trapped out there does make Paul's job more simple. Man, it's like, hey, it's a four-on-three you know someone has to be open. Like, you are a smart enough passer, you can figure this out. But it's just kind of that progression of learning how to do more things. So I think Paul's going to get there because I do think he's, he again, he's trying to regain. I don't think the isolations are more Paul deciding, like, oh, screw whatever the offense is doing. I just want to call my own number. It's more, man, I know the reason our offense hasn't worked for the first 14 seconds of this possession is that my guy's just hanging back, that they're doubling Maxi. 
they're giving me all this open space in the 15 foot area and they're not guarding me. And that's why our offense isn't working. I need to make some, I need to make them guard me, you know, like I I think it comes from a good place of like wanting that to happen. And defensively it was, I love the activity. It did help them that he didn't have to bang with Sabonis last night. They leaving that job to Tobias and letting Paul Rome be a shot blocker. Get, he had some really great blocks and he's always been able to move his feet pretty well. Um, Mo, like really happy for Mo. They played it. had been a rough stretch for Mo. So that was a really good game for him to have last night. Um, and like you said, he was more active last. I think they really tried to reinforce him. Like, Hey, you have really long arms, dude. Just keep those things up as much as you can to bother the shots. Then on those rebounds, even if you don't get them, like he bothered Sabonson that miss right around the rim, just because he, like Mo does have one of the longest wingspans like in basketball history. <laughs> like if yeah. you keep your hands up around the rim, it will bother them. So just a little simple stuff of that on offense. It's a very binary thing for Mo. Like are his pick and pop three pointers going in? Yes. He's good on offense. And no, he's not. He's useless on offense. Basically. He's not, yeah. he's not doing anything besides that. And he shouldn't Like he doesn't really have the skills to do things beside that. Like yeah. they went in last night, you know, like pop the bottle, like congrats. That was great. Helped a lot. that <laughs> He made both those threes. That's pretty much all he can do and all he should do. But like it's that's the thing is Paul like you see the potential for there to be more there and I, I kind of believe he can get there and he is a better Mo is a better three-point shooter than Paul right now Mo's never going to be a good enough or high volume enough three-point shooter in his limited minutes that defenses will ever change the way they guard him they'll keep giving him those threes and yeah if he's wide open for a top of the key three he should keep taking it when he's in because that's what they're asking you to do Mo like if they leave you open for a pick and pop three you can hit you got to shoot it so both good games from last night. I think it's still pretty clear that Paul's the more effective player. But yeah, the good thing was that it was clear how Paul was overtaxed as a starter and then how Mo was struggling in these games and beat has been out. So just getting those minutes where, oh, it looks like Mo can survive out there is huge for them just because, I mean, Joel's never played 70 games in a season before. Very much looks like he's not going to hit that again. So it's important. On a Joel Embiid team, it does matter who your third center is pretty much. Yeah. I, I think like the thing with, with Mo, that is particularly like limits just how valuable he can be to your team, which is another way of just saying like how much he can play. Uh, is you see him underneath the basket, and like when he gets under the basket and he has the ball in his hands, they're throwing bodies at him, not because they are afraid of what he's going to do, but because they know, like, hey, if we put enough pressure on this guy, he's going to cough up the ball. Or if we, you know, if, if 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 we can block, he's easy to block out uh, you know, on, when the shot goes up. And so like, there's a risk around the rim that you know he's going to, uh, you know, not get the like, that you're going to lose the, the the defensive glass because he's going to give up offensive rebounds, or you're just going to get bullied inside. And luckily, the and for, luckily for the Sixers, the Kings didn't do much of that against him last night. Like I I thought it was quite embarrassing for Sabonis, quite frankly, that like. He and that, that, that Mo and Paul Reed were giving him business on both ends, and quite frankly, Sacramento in general just just got manhandled inside on both ends, and it was just very strong, like th- like physically strong play from the two bigs. But I I, I did I did think the one thing that kind of helps with Mo is when when they're going zone, um, and like last night one of his threes that he hits is they're swinging the ball, and then Mo comes up and sets a sets a quick ball screen point of attack. And then Maxi basically turns that zone into a pick and roll coverage, and then boom, he gets a wide open three at because they're blitzing him. Um, and like those are plays that help break up bad zone defensive possessions. 
Um, and that is something that has plagued them at times this year because of some of the lineups they're throwing out. So if you can just if, if you can get the ball to one side of the floor and then quickly bring Mo up and then turn that into like a okay, we're just gonna like give it get the maxi and then quick screen go. And then that sort of breaks up the zone a little bit. Um speaking of maxi, shooting slump has not shot the ball well at any level of the floor with Joel out. Um I think he is probably I I I don't think they would have stats on this because in order to log a stat, you have to log an event and a, a non-call is not an event. It's just like an absence of an event. So I would bet that like Tyrese gets maybe one of the worst whistles in the league for a guy averaging at least 20 a game. Um, and it's, it's, it's tough. It's, I, I hear all those stuff. I also just know the history of like, tiny guys do not get calls and like obviously relative like Tyrese is taller than me I know it's like it's always tiny relative to the NBA like Tyrese is a small NBA player and that's just like the history of it like it's a guy like Dame Willard and the number of free throws he's averaging this year is an outlier like that doesn't usually happen just it's hard like the bigger guys they force more contact because basically the contact has to be more egregious to stop them from scoring around the rim like like I, I've had a whole discourse about his aunt, aunt, aunt Edwards versus Tyrese Maxey this year, because like, I really don't think there's too much of a difference in their level of players. But like the one thing is, yeah, Aunt Edwards goes to the rim hard. Like if you're gonna actually foul him in a way that he misses, you almost have to tackle him. Like that dude's too big, too strong. Like Maxey, even though he probably is getting bumped or fouled, it does relative. Like you can make cases like, well, that defender he kind of just ran into his chest, and like even if there was a little push or this, like Tyrese is significantly smaller than them, and that does matter. Yeah. Well, I would. I also say like. Things I've noticed at the years of watching this team, specifically with this with this core construct like Tobias Joel, uh, two things that don't get rewarded at all are guys who are small, unless you're like a star, star, star plus like Trey, like Steph sometimes, like Damian, um, but also guys who don't have the vertical pop, so they don't have the ability to exact to, to make it look more chaotic at the rim if there's a collision or if there's contact like i would say tobias probably gets fouled more than he gets the more than he gets the benefit of the doubt but because he doesn't have the vertical pop it often looks like he's getting blocked instead of getting fouled or he's just no, losing the ball de- going up yeah i think there's definitely a case to that like literally if you're just higher above the rim like there's more visible space to see anything that gets hit yes. on your arm like if Correct. you're in the crowd below crowd below like a million guys get bumped there. It's just kind of, yeah. but you, I, I know you were also talking about Maxi's three point shooting lately. Yes. Because... And, and so, and so that is, I, it's not an area of concern. Cause I understand like his, his role at this team with Joel out is like, they, they're, I almost think the pick and roll is not, is like sort of almost like something that they can't do as much with him because they're just going to blitz high every time with Paul on the floor. And they're not really afraid of the shooters that this team has. So they're just going to send extra helpers and make and push Tyrese further out. And they did that still, you know, last night, although he had a better shooting night, but I, I, I think when I, like when I watch him play without Joel, like the big concern, uh, which is going, which is, which is just me saying like come playoff time really is, he's going to have to create a lot of space for himself to get off his, his jumper. And I don't think he's at the stage of his career where he is getting enough power from his legs when he's creating space. Cause he has to exert a lot to get the double step back, which is like, it's, it's not even the hard step back. It's just like a double step back. I'm not even sure if it's legal. I think it's a travel when I see it and I'm just like, I, they're not calling it. So I guess it's not a travel, but it, it seems to me like when he does that, 
that, that step back going to his left, it's like there's like three steps there <laughs> every time. Um, but it, I think part of the struggle and the reason he's missing short is like number one, he's overtaxed with the workload because it was Joel out, but also he has to just do so much to create that space for himself that by the time he gets to the to the height of his shot, it's like there's not that much more energy coming up through his body to get to get a lot of juice on the ball. Yeah, so I mean, I I was looking at some numbers. So basically, the shooting slump since Chris the Christmas the infamous Christmas Day game where he was just bad against the Heat. Since those, so those last nine games, he's twenty one for seventy from three, which is thirty percent, shooting a lot better before then. Um, has and I basically looked up on Stathead today, like has he ever had a nine game stretch with you know shooting like thirty percent or worse from three and like a lot of this, but then I also just basically extended to like a 20 game stretch of shooting 30% or worse from three. And that has never happened since his rookie year. So in general, like I know that's those numbers sound weird, but my point is I like, I would be pretty confident. He's not going to shoot 30 in his next 11 games or so. He's going to shoot much better than 30% from yeah. three. Sometimes I think this is just like some of these. Yeah. Are like he's overtaxed without Embiid and needing to create more than just sometimes then we're like, Hey, I got to get a shot up. I'm the guy right now. But some of these he's missed wide open threes just kind of sometimes he miss. I mean, the last two years he was 42.7% from three in 2022, 43.4% last year, which is insane. Looking at it again, still at 37.6% this year of how well he was shooting the start of the year. So my, and is that mixed in with his like bad rookie shooting year where he barely played, he was about 40% for his career. So if he's 37 37.6% so far this season, if I had to guess, I'd probably say he ends up around 40% by the end of the year because I think that's just – he's a really good shooter. He's probably not like, you know, 90 – like that upper like 96th to 99th percentile shooter, He's but he's really close to that. I still like – I've seen him make too many difficult, high volume, high movement, like, you know, all these kinds of threes where I, I can't think that guy's anything less than an amazing shooter and just sometimes he miss shots. And, yeah, it was like this is what we expected from Maxi that he is – obviously not Harden, but he has taken over some of him and Embiid and a few other players on the team have taken over some of Harden's responsibilities. And when you do that, like you're just going to have harder shots. Maxi has to take more shots that are probably more difficult than he did last year. And sometimes you're going to miss those. So I, I, I get what you're saying about like, there are definitely some of that, but I also just generally think like, yeah, he's in a harder role. Usually a percentage goes down like this and he's in a slump right now, but i I am extremely confident in the shooting ability of Tyrese Maxey. I just, there's too many good indicators of his touch on floaters of the tough kinds of shots he can get, the volume he can get to the, his free throws, just everything makes me believe that his shot. I, I like if he rips off another streak where I think he had right before the Christmas game, he had three straight games where he made five, five threes in each game. And it was like on better than 50% three point shooting. Yeah. Like he could have another three game tear like that just very easily. Like, so I just, I just believe in Tyrese Maxey. It's probably my own. No, for, for sure. And to be clear, that isn't me like saying like this yeah. is a concern. This is this is me saying like when we're thinking about things for him to work on and the next progression of his of his development as a player. I think finding ways to sort of simplify his movements as 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 a creator for himself, so that he leaves like leverage in his body to actually shoot the ball after he creates space for himself. Because right now I think there's a combination of like him having to do so much that he's just tired at times, but also like when you're the one trying to create for yourself so often, because the ball's in your hands so often, you 
like you get to the end of a of a possession or an, an end of a move and you're like damn i don't have anything left here like how do i what what do i do next um and you know then that le- you leave shot short but i mean he's still shooting shooting his numbers off the catch are are like night and day when joel's on the floor them together i think he's like totally fine and like as nuclear and dynamic as 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 there is as a secondary option in the league um but i do think you know when it comes to playoff time which is all this team is playing for at this point after how many second round exits in a row and sticking chests out in a regular season and then coughing it all up over themselves and the, when it matters um i think when it comes to those critical games in the playoffs and it's the it's those minutes without if without Joel and Tyrese is on the floor, unless you get a, another like star level player on this team, those minutes I'm I'm starting to be like a little bit concerned about because they're just going to sell out and everybody to make sure that Tyrese can't get downhill, make sure that he is not stepping into like you know single covered threes or you know good looks on pull ups. I think some of their some of the stuff that you're right. It's random events. Shooting is inherently a random event, and you're, sometimes you're just going to miss shots. It is what it is. Um, other times you're just going to press because you know you're trying to help your team, and when you're not playing well, you tend to press and force things. But there are going to be times when they're like, "We dare you to make this 35 foot three over two guys," and we don't care if uh, Marcus Morris or DeAnthony Melton makes a three we'll live with them making three threes in a quarter if it means that you don't get a shot off and so i think those are that's the only thing that would concern me about the slump is there is something of a blueprint for how to for for like for like what teams are going to do to him and at this stage of his at this stage of his game um and so i think him becoming a more dynamic creator for himself is would be a, a big help obviously um Speaking of playoff coverages, I wrote this a couple days ago, and the more I like rewatched the film of that game, the more I'm like, yeah, this is what it's probably going to be. I, I I think what we saw against the Knicks or from the Knicks against the Sixers last Friday is probably really similar to what we're going to see in the playoffs, unless they're like throwing multiple bodies at, right right off the bat. But like the Knicks were very good at helping late when Joel had already committed to a decision. And like he would drive into the middle of the lane, he'd, he'd basically pick up his dribble and leave himself nowhere to go. And then Randall, Randall comes over to block him from behind. Or uh, Quentin Grimes is, is, is cheats off of a, a teammate and comes in and blocks him at the last second. And that was a big problem. Uh, it was p- not the whole reason, but part of why he had six turnovers in that game. It was why he shot, I think, 10 of 23. Um, so, you know, the, the teams are just inherently going to sell out because it's just anybody but the best player are going to beat you um which what coverages have you seen that you think are like most likely to to be the ones that he sees in the playoffs well i think it's partially like mike brown gave a really good answer pregame last night where he's just they're asking about guarding tool and bead and obviously them do it like because he was saying how different it is when you're playing games like well you basically are automatically guarding four on three the rest of the court when you're playing Embiid because you have to double team him at some point there's just virtually no one not that can like just handle him one-on-one for a little bit he's too strong too skilled all those things so obviously like the way there's different ways to double team like heck the Sixers against Sabonis last night when they get those peel switches and they had like Maxi or Melton switch on that sometimes they have they double from the baseline sometimes they double for from up top, you know, 
that's the whole way you do that just to make sure that the post does not know where the devil is coming from just try and switch it up on them um but so there's always going to be doubles and like di different teams are better at doubling like i think it's no one would argue that it's it'll be harder for Embiid if they play boston again and gets doubled by them versus if they if the pacers are like the sixth seed and as much as offense they can give them like i don't think the pacers are gonna their yeah. double scheme will give Embiid much problem the interesting thing that the pacers and the celtics actually have done that i I'm curious about is, so the Celtics had that one stint where Drew Holiday was guarding Embiid and the Pacers had Aaron Neesmith guard him. And I think, so one of my co-bosses, uh, Mike Levin, had a really good point on one of the shows a while ago where if you're guarding Embiid, you really don't want to just put like, especially if you don't have one of those big bulky centers, but especially if it's your backup center, don't want to just have like a big who is a lot worse than Embiid try and handle himself against Embiid because Joel is just so confident. So against those guys like, like when it was the Pacers, poor Jalen Smith, who's a fine player, just can't handle him. There's not much yeah. you can do. But when it's like fair. a weird athletic guy who can get under him and is strong and like will bother and beat, it's okay. We'll be get super physical and get a little away for a little more because rest let the smaller guys be more physical of them. It can really just annoy Embiid and confuse him, which is really all they're hoping to do is get Embiid off his game a little bit. Obviously, Smart's done that before, like when he was with the Celtics. So I definitely think if they get into locked in a series, like a second or third round series are forbid like the conference finals again against the Celtics like seeing like guys like Drew Holiday on him would be like something I'd expect at least for stretches of the game trying to throw him off and I think it's similar to what you said of the Knicks although it's different from, from how they did it but they kind of bait and bead into thinking he has to mow them down physically which yeah. obviously is great when he does but just refs are so willing to give those offensive foul calls when you lean your elbow into them and they're not going to reward you for as many defensive calls it was one of my frustrations last year, especially against the Celtics, where I think Embiid stopped trusting his mid-range jumper, which yeah. is one of the best mid-range shooters on earth. Like, you kind of got to trust what got you there. Yeah. That's like, yeah, I wouldn't, if Tobias Harris starts shooting like mid-range jumpers over and over again in the playoffs, like I'd probably say, hey, Tobias, this is probably not it. But Joel, like you're nearing that Kevin Durant level of, we'll, we'll let you, you have the permission to ISO for jump those jumpers from the elbow if you want. Like we trust you with it. So but he can sometimes just these teams that get very physical that kind of it's almost like you know, waving the red flag in front of the bull, like, hey, here's a small guy, just mow him down. Like, and then those late doubles that you said after they push him back or drawing offensive fouls, just kind of throwing him off, like not giving something he expected. So just all these kinds of things to mess with Joel's rhythm and timing, unconventional matchups are definitely stuff I could think you see in the playoffs. I, I doubt, especially from any team that could give the Sixers a challenge. Like you'll see any straight up like coverage. Oh, the the only center I can think of in the East off the top of my head who like won't get is probably Brooke Lopez. Who like at least Brooke, like, you know, you try and bang into Brooke, like Brooke's not moving. So that's probably and even then Brooke is like they might not even put Brooke on a beak say like to have him roam off non-shooters to protect the rim and all that stuff. So it, it's they're gonna see a lot of different stuff. And beads obviously one of the toughest covers in the league, and I would just be prepared for some uh weird matchups where teams try to just throw off Joel. Like they will not any team that just tries to throw a like the classic a classic jag just a guy at Embiid is not going to do very well. So you mentioned the the bait him into sort of using his force by putting like a guard on him, which is basically what in the, in the game that the Sixers won against Boston, that was something that they did a lot and then Joel figured it out and was like, "Hey, if we just rerun the pick and roll and get Boston to switch and they get Derek White on me, like, like they'll, they'll help because they don't like that ISO, mm -hmm. and then that'll leave someone else open. Um, 
how do you what do you think is the counter offensively to that then when they're saying like here we're going to smooth feed you this matchup that you like to goad you into being more aggressive so we can then send help yeah it's something like i try to remind people because i like i play basketball a lot and i like have a younger brother who's a lot taller than me and i would always tell him because i i defended post-ups a lot i would get super physical with people like i'm not very, very big but i knew i had to like use my strength you get under people's skin but like if the taller person just calms down and shoots over them, like it can just be a little short mid range jumper. Like as a smaller guy, I can't do anything to affect that. And yeah. like, if Joel doesn't need to like, you know, again, like he doesn't have to bear, I think it gets to this point where it's like bearing them all the way under the basket. Like, no, just get to that little like mid paint area and then just rise up over them. Cause they can't affect your jumper They're You have too many inches on them. Like, so that's just a very simple counter for Joel, which I'm sure he, he's a very smart guy. He'll probably figure that out himself eventually. But, um, so that's one thing. Obviously, like you said, just playing them with the ball screens. The Celtics are such a weird matchup because they're so their personnel is unlike any other teams. So they're the ones who like they're comfortable with so many different matchups. They can kind of trust all, most of their guys. So obviously, they're a little bit different. Like trying to give them ball screens. But what you said there about playing with who they're going to switch onto who. Obviously, when um, the Sixers beat the Raptors in the playoffs two years ago, the big thing was the Raptors kept switching, but they would eventually get hard at. Uh, Fred Van Vliet switch on to Harden, then run that Embiid Harden pick and roll, get Van Vliet onto Embiid, and then they were in trouble. And then they just scram yeah. all around. So that kind of stuff. I'm, the Celtics have better personnel and probably are better coordinated at that, all that scram switching, so they will they will not make that as easy. But, yeah, I just think, again, a lot of it is just not taking the bait and assuming that, oh, like, you know, that's probably like the inside NBA crew on TNT would say, oh, you have to bury him under that. Like, no, you don't. You don't have to do exactly what they want you to do. Like they, the the teams in the NBA are not dumb. They're probably doing that for a reason. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like like if, if if you already have your position inside and they're and, and they're giving you that, fine. Like like it's a quick it's a it's one quick step and then boom, you have them like you're you're at the rim. But if they're giving you that matchup like 15 feet and out, it's because they want it's because the, the, they they want to give themselves some time to actually then make the make make the rotation and help and it's part of the plan so i think you're 100 right and like you even saw in it not not really like in the same vein as what you're talking about but similarly um with like last season when doc um put pj on Jokic second half and used joel as kind of a roamer Similar concept, smaller player, you go to them to try to like attack more, and then you bring the helper over, and the helper makes things a little bit more complicated. Um, but yeah, I, I think generally, I think generally, what teams are going to do is they're going to say like, "How can we speed him up and make it and make him try to use force?" Because force will either get him into decision making trouble, or it'll get him into foul trouble, and that that'll be everything. I think it's just a matter of identifying that and being like. Hey, let's rescreen this so I can get a less ridiculous mismatch and like I can get back to like a, a more like obvious headspace. Or it's you know let's get somebody else to touch. Like if they, if if you do if you do the rescreen, um, and it gets you know uh, whichever fleet-footed defender on Tyrese or on Tobias, then like fine, keep that matchup. Um, but it's it's a trap. <laughs> it's always a trap. Um, with, with what they're doing with Joel. Last question for you. Based on what we know about this team now, and like the, the type of defenses they're going to face, would you be more inclined, if if all things were equal, to trade for a star level player 
or to trade for a role player. For me, I think I would lean more towards the star level player because I just think you need I think right now there just is not enough shooting gravity on this team to where to where like helpers are gonna be like disincentive like are gonna be scared to not come over and help. Like people just plainly are not afraid of Kelly Oubre. They're not afraid of Tobias all that much. Batum not really afraid of him either. The Anthony no shot. Um so I just think you need got you need people on the court who are dynamic enough to where teams are like uh, I'm not. I'm not exactly willing to come blindside double Joel on the baseline or send this late pressure in the middle of the paint. Um, where would you land on that? Well, it's just how many differences are there in the p- levels of players that are on the market? Like, I would say Siakam's probably the best player available for trade. It sounds would be my in my guess at least from everything we've heard, um, and. He's definitely good. He's not probably not as good as he was a year or two ago. And then, obviously, everyone's talked about the guys for the Hawks. Like, I really don't think Dejounte and Bogdan are that huge a difference in level of player. Bog, I mean, Dejounte made an All Star team, so he gets the reputation there. But yeah, I, I don't. There's not like a. There's plenty of players I think are better at basketball than Dejounte. He's it's a fine player, but has playing limitations. I think in Atlanta's scene, like he doesn't really change the way people guard you very much. Like, yeah, I think his is great mid range shooter. He does a good job getting those pull up twos and he has some nice touch, but that does not change the way people defend the Atlanta Hawks very much at all. And yeah. his passing is, while it's not like bad, it's not transformative enough that like he's not, even when Harden was having his scoring limitations last year, Harden's a transformational enough passer that he can change the way teams defend you because his passing is a weapon at that yeah. point. That's not really DeJounte either. So but that makes it clear. Like I, I'm more in favor of a Bog, like a Bogdan Bogdanovich because I just, I think he's such a lethal three point shooter at that size. And you don't need him to be the third star. You need him to play those minutes with Maxi and maybe get a taller defender on him because. He can shoot well enough from three and, and versatile enough three-point shooting that I think he would at least, especially movement shooting, just kind of guarantees you some level of defensive coverage. It's really tough. I mean, it's what's really helped the Miami Heat with guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, who I think have plenty of holes as players, but they can hit movement three, so teams have to respect them because like, they hit three threes in five minutes and you're in trouble. Suddenly your, your defense has been really hurt for a little bit. So I, I think that... I just, my general, th- from what we've heard from who's on the market, Siakam's probably the only, like, quote-unquote star-level player I'd really consider. And even then, like, it, you have to consider, are you going to sign him in free agency? Like, I again, like I think Mike was talking about this on the Ricky Today, where basically, is this another Tobias trade where they, it was almost a sunk cost thing where they had to, they, they felt like, oh, well, we traded these picks for him, now we have to sign him to make sure we keep him, we can't just lose him after trading for him, so... There's that danger you have to be worried for. I know people want it, understandably, to beat this year for the Sixers, but you were hoping to have him beat a maxi the next few years. You still want to not like completely throw away the future if that ends up being a mistake. So I I really just think uh, if the price between Bogdan and DeJounte is that much different, where Bogdan will just not cost him as much, I really don't think there's a huge difference in the level of the most players, and I think he could really help. How would you compare them as off-ball movers to DeJounte and Bogdan. I mean, Bogdan's better. He obviously has been tasked with that more. So I maybe Dejounte, if you asked him to do it more, would be just really have not. That's not what Dejounte has done. 
So it, I don't really know for sure how good of an off-ball mover DeShante is. He likes to have the ball in his hands. He likes to have – he was at his best with Jakob Pertl, who would rescreen for him and kind of open up those lanes. He's had struggles with Capella, who doesn't really do that. He's looking more for lob passes, which DeJounte's not much of a lob passer at all. And Bogdan's whole career has been based around the fact that he has that high release point. He gets his threes off fast and get on a heater quick. So I, Bogdan's definitely the more – at least at the very moment, Bogdan's definitely the better off-ball player. Dan Ollinger, anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, just follow me on X, Twitter, whatever it is, you know, at Dan underscore Olinger, uh, Dan underscore O-L-I-N-G-E-R. Uh, I write a column each week for the Ricky on the website that you can read that usually comes out like Monday or Tuesday each week, uh, making a lot of videos that goes up on their YouTube channel or again, just post them on my own Twitter or X account. So you can follow those. I did one today on how the Sixers guarded DeMontis Sabonis last night and just kind of strategy behind that. And yeah. Uh, thank you for having me on, some Austin. Dan, thanks for coming on. You have a good night. You too, man. And B stepping.